Well, a special thank you to Patricia for reading that extended Bible reading this morning. Um, I wanted to give some context to the actual passage that's set today. So if you've been following the series, you will have noticed an overlap with the previous week's uh, reading. Any spirituality, um, whether it's atheist or Buddhist or Christian or whatever, has three organically related parts. This is the, the pattern of spirituality. There are beliefs, attitudes, and actions. Or to alliterate, spirituality is about the integration of your head and your heart and your hands. So first of all, our minds believe various things to be true or false. Uh, For example, we believe that Jesus is the crucified and resurrected Lord who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Second, our hearts make a response to what our minds believe. For example, we consider everything that we once prized to be, quote, garbage in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Actually, the NIV is rather tame in the translation at this point. Uh, The Jubilee Bible 2000 is spot on when it speaks rather more bluntly of my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. This combination of head and heart, of a belief that and a belief in, is what the Bible means by faith. Contrary to recent new atheist propaganda by the likes of Richard Dawkins, Christian faith is not a matter of blind faith. Rather, Christian faith is a trust in and a commitment to what we have reason to believe is true. Now, making time to investigate for yourself at an appropriate level the reasons for believing that Christianity is true is a biblical part of Christian discipleship. Paul not only describes his own ministry in Philippians 1.7 as defending and confirming the gospel, but in Colossians 4.6 he commands Christians to be ready to give answers to anyone who asks questions. Listen to Professor William Lane Craig's impassioned plea for Christians to learn to give answers. He says, Christian teenagers are intellectually assaulted with every manner of non-Christian worldview coupled with an overwhelming relativism. If parents are not intellectually engaged with their faith and do not have sound arguments for Christian theism, and good answers to their children's questions, then we are in real danger of losing our youth. It's no longer enough to teach our children simply Bible stories. They need 
doctrine and apologetics. It's hard to understand how people today can risk parenthood without having studied apologetics. It's insufficient for youth groups and Sunday school classes to focus on entertainment and devotional thoughts. We've got to train our kids for war. We dare not send them out to public high school and university armed with rubber swords and plastic armor. The time for playing games is past. So let me encourage you to look up Craig's Reasonable Faith website, uh, to think about participating in the Alpha course with some friends, uh, to consider coming to the next Reasonable Faith course here at Highfield, which starts on Sunday the 11th of October. Third, a Christ-centered faith, that combination of head and heart, influences behavior. As James writes, faith without deeds is dead. Thus, to have Christian faith means trusting, holding to, acting on what one has a good reason to believe is true, even in the face of difficulties. Now, in Philippians 3, 7 to 4, 1, Paul takes Christians from the surpassing worth of knowing Christ to how we can stand firm in the Lord in the face of difficulties. Philippi was a favourite location for settling Roman soldiers whose terms of service had come to an end. And the Greek term for stand firm is the same as that used for a soldier standing fast in the midst of battle or for a combatant in the Roman amphitheatre who's fighting for his life. This is a metaphor for the spiritual warfare of Christian discipleship. As Paul says in Ephesians, our struggle is not against human opponents, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers in the darkness around us, and evil spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. For this reason, take up the whole armour of God, so that you may be able to take a stand when evil comes. And somewhat paradoxically, Paul's Philippian battle plan for standing firm is a matter of pressing on and straining towards what is ahead. As 2 Corinthians makes abundantly clear, Paul knew a little something about having face faith despite external difficulties. As Jesus says later in the same letter, uh, this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Yet the difficulties we face in following Christ are not primarily external. Paul knows that having faith means facing up to the difficult internal realities of our own sinful nature. We must begin by realizing that we have not already obtained all Christ has called us to. Striving for perfection through intellectual and spiritual enlightenment was a common religious ideal in the Greco-Roman world. 
And Paul had seen such ideas infect, say, the church at Corinth, where some believers claimed that they had already been perfected by their spiritual knowledge. And yes, while disciples of Christ must desire that sinful perfection that is our eternal destiny in heaven, and we must pursue both maturity and maturation in Christ in the meantime, discipleship begins with the realization we can't gain salvation by perfectly obeying the law of right and wrong. But only through the the salvation or the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Taking our stand on this faith, we can leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, Hebrews 6.1. So note that while Paul considers himself to be a mature Christian, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, he also says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In other words, while our citizenship is in heaven, we aren't there yet. Nevertheless, God has called us heavenwards in Christ Jesus. The term translated as citizens could refer to a distinct ethnic group that lived away from its homeland and was governed by its own constitution, a city within a city, if you like. So how are citizens of heaven to cope with living in a foreign land? How should we handle the tension of desiring heavenly perfection whilst knowing that we're sinners? How can we stand firm in the Lord, trusting and acting on what we have good reason to believe is true, despite external and internal trials? Well, Paul says that we should join together in following his example. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. The imagery here comes from the athletics arena where runners in the Greco-Roman world would fix their eyes on a post that marked the end point of the race. And getting to that post, that post was where the winner would receive their prize, uh, which would be a wreath made of dry celery, worn as a crown. So instead of going for gold, one supposes that ancient Greeks talked about going for celery. What Paul means is that we can and should forget the difficulties of discipleship in light of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Where, where this forgetting, of course, it's not a matter of having a failing memory. Rather, it's a deliberate choice to live out the gospel. The Greek translated as forgetting can mean to forget in the sense of to neglect, uh, to give over to oblivion. So this forgetting is an attitude of the heart to the effect that 
on the basis of knowing Jesus, we will live as forgiven sinners. That we will shift our goals from earthly things towards our heavenly goal. Indeed, as Nicky Gumbel says in the book that the home groups are working through, like a runner, the Christian must not look back. We cannot live on past success or rest on former laurels, nor should we be bogged down by past failures, despair over past sins, or bitterness over past wrongs done to us. We are not to dwell on the past. So Paul explains that to know Christ is to know participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. As he writes and explains in Romans 8.17, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Again, Paul explains we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Taking our stand upon true beliefs about our sin and God's grace in combination with the appropriate heart response to those truths, we can choose to forget what is behind and to press on to what lies ahead, the prize for which God has called us heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And although we can't experience the fullness of our prize until the new heavens and the new earth, Paul says that we can draw ever nearer to God through knowing Christ Jesus as we await the fullness of his coming. All of us, he says, reflect the glory of the Lord with unveiled faces. We are becoming more like him with ever-increasing glory by the Lord's Spirit. That's from 2 Corinthians 3.18. So in summary... To being mature disciples, we need to believe that our identity lies in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We need to set our hearts upon the prize for which God has called us heavenwards in Christ. And in the light of knowing where we come from, forgiveness, and where we're going, glory, we need to strive to live as citizens of heaven on earth. Despite the light and momentary troubles that this inevitably evolves. As the writer of Hebrews again says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So, let's join together with Paul in going for celery. Amen. <laughs>